0: Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 830 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at Roundrockchurch.s. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Let's pray, church, before we sit down. Uh, so, Lord, uh, the praises we just offered you, can you just take that as an offering this morning, uh, an incense of just how good you are and how good you are working through our lives? Uh, Holy Spirit, as we open these ancient words this morning, can you move these realities that are in our heads and move them down into our hearts this morning and hear this good news? We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. NBC. So this morning we are... um, concluding the series that we just did on Psalm 23 and starting a new series today. Uh, This title of this series is uh, called Make Yourself at Home. Make Yourself at Home. And the reason for this series is about a month and a half ago, uh, we took some time as a church to just say, hey, we feel like God is leading us to focus in a particular way for the next couple of years. Years, uh, If you remember this, we had wording that we used that declared this vision. Maybe some wording that declared this vision. I'm rolling, guys. Are you rolling? Oh, okay, there we go. We're there. We're there. Um, the language that we used this morning, man, Maybe it, maybe it's me. Maybe it's on me, Ken. Maybe it's on me. Yeah, guys, if you don't mind just clicking today, because I think I have no clicker. All right, let's go to the next one. Um, We said that this vision was going to be, if you want to go ahead and hit the next one, uh, we wanted to spend the next three years being a spirit-filled and spirit-led church for those who do not have a home. And what we mean by that language is we mean spirit-filled, that we want to be intimately connected with God, spirit-led, that we want to be receptive to the invitations of God personally and also communally. And for those who don't have a home, we believe that the created world is God's hospitality to us. And part of our role as people who are Spirit-filled and Spirit-led is to help create a home and be hospitable to others so they can know that the Lord and Maker of heaven and earth wants to be a home with them as well. So one of the things that we want to do as a precursor to this series, which by the way, if you're like, I want to know more about that. I had a couple walk up to me last week and was like, how'd y'all get to that vision? Who was involved with it? What it looked like? You can go to uh, this place on the website. You can actually go through that teaching and actually hear how our leadership went through that process. But today, before we get to that in August, before we start living into some of those things, I thought it would be helpful to have a precursor series. Before we talk about being a home for other people, I thought, let's take some time to think about how are we doing and how are we feeling about the place that we call our church home or we're thinking about it being our home. Now, when talking about church being our home, in my mind, there's kind of two approaches that you take with this. Uh, the first, oh, man, we are moving with the slides now. I like this. All right. There are two approaches. The first one, if you want to throw that one up there. Uh, I kind of like to think of these approaches as like grocery shopping. Do you remember grocery shopping? Like the day, like, it was wild. It was a wild time. People would walk into stores. It was like stocks, shelves, and people would just grab things and they would put it in a car. I like to think of talking about church in one of two ways. Uh, for some of us, When we get really hungry, when we are aching for something more out of our church home, some of us, we go storm the grocery store. We've had it. We're hungry. We need to go right now. And I don't know about you, when I go to the grocery store, when I am hungry, I'm the proud owner of aisle four by the end of it. Okay, I put things in the cart. They never belong there. Okay, I come home. My wife is like, I can't even... I can't put these ingredients together. Cheetos are not a meal, Zane. They're not a meal. Very few times do I go to the grocery store and storm it while I'm hungry. Do I come out with things that are nutritious? Okay. So the parallel is this. When you long for more out of your church home, one way is to say, we gotta, we gotta go. Like we got to do things. We got to start adding things. We got to start bringing in things. And usually what happens is we get all these ideas. We want to do all these things. Maybe we even start blaming some other people. And then we're exhausted. We've added all these things to our plate and church becomes burdensome to us. I know some of you are at this church because you felt In other seasons of life, that church has been burdensome. You walk through the door and you're like, oh my gosh, there's so much that I have to do. For the people who want to storm the store, one of the things we have to keep in mind, activity, endless activity, does not imply intentionality. But there's a second way to talk about church home as well, if you want to put that on the screen. The second way, the first one is you storm the store. The second way is you stop And you take inventory, you take stock before you go to the grocery store, you go over to the fridge, you open the fridge and you take a survey of what's missing or what used to be there. That isn't there. I don't know how your household operates. There was a couple of unforgivable sins in the witcher household, and uh, one of them was leaving the fridge door open, Okay. Like I don't I don't know what it was. My mother just had a detector. Okay. If I open that fridge door, she was immediately like, close that fridge door. Like I can still hear her. Like I, I would just open it. just for a second. I'd just open it looking for a snap. She'd be like, Zane Anderson, is there a movie playing in there? Because if there's not, shut the door. All right. I would get in trouble for opening the door and just looking in the fridge. What I'm trying to say is you will get in trouble if you don't open the door of the fridge and take inventory. When you think about your home. One way is to storm the store. The other is to stop and take stock. So what I want to do for the next four weeks is I just want to give us some questions, just some ways of evaluating the fridge. If we find ourselves discontent or frustrated or we find ourselves just not in step with everyone else, I just want to offer us four weeks of just four different sets of questions. This week, we're going to talk about place. Next week, we're actually going to talk about people. Next week, we're, the week after that, we'll talk about practices, and then we'll finish the series with purpose. Do I have a place here? Do I have people here? Do I have practices with other people here? And finally, do I have a purpose here and i guess the ultimate question we're trying to get to at the bottom of this series is if you do not feel at home right now is there some ways we can take inventory in the fridge that come august you can start feeling at home again one of the ways that i want us to take inventory today of where we may be at with our home is taking inventory of a story where Jesus talks about home very uniquely. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I'd like to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter eight. Luke is one of the gospels, Uh, is recording the life and events of Jesus. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, uh, or you are uncertain or just checking out Jesus, we're gonna display the words that uh, go with this passage. For those of you who are making notes in your Bible, we're going to start in verse 26 is where this story starts. And this is an encounter that a man has with Jesus. So here we go, Luke 8, starting in verse 26. So they, they, the disciples, they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. And when Jesus stepped ashore... He was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. So Jesus is moving with his disciples. And I guess in one way, when you jump into the story, you need to know that actually this story that is beginning is actually an ending of the previous story, Jesus has all this momentum that is coming into the towns. Things are going extremely well. And then Jesus is like, hey, let's load up in a boat and let's go across the lake over to the garrisons, the garrisons. OK, let me let me try to paint that for you. That would be the equivalent of all the Hutto, Liberty Hill, uh, Gerald, Round Rock. That was as if Jesus came to all of you and was like, hey, let's go over to South Austin. Some of you treat South Austin like it's Canada. You're like, ah, ooh, ooh, South Austin. I mean, North Austin is South Austin. Man, I gotta get my passport ready. Like we're gonna, we're gonna be there for a while. Why can't we be right here? Zane, you know, South Austin people, they're a little weird. You know, they're a little, <laughs> someone. Amen to that. Don't be amen to that. <laughs> we love you, South Austin. We love you. Why in the world, when Jesus got all this momentum? All of a sudden, he's like, let's go over to the garrisons. Let's go over to where that area is weird. Why would we leave all this momentum that's happening right here? And the story that you're being dropped into is the story of the disciples moving across this lake because Jesus is like, let's go. And a storm happens there. And Jesus ends up calming the storm. you got to imagine some of the disciples, by the time they got to the other side of the lake, were like, so why did we do that Why did we almost nearly die? And then you're met with not an external storm. But an internal storm. Jesus has now just calmed an external storm. And now you're met with a man who has an internal storm. And he lives within the tombs. In other words, the gospels are saying he lives in a place that is lifeless. And here's where the word of God already starts poking our hearts this morning. The work of Jesus does not move away from death. The work of Jesus actually moves towards things and people who are dead. The life of following Jesus is not up and to the right. It's not always something that's extremely sexy. It's not something that's always bigger and better. That may be the American dream. That's not Jesus' dream. There are times where Jesus actually calls us to go to lifeless places so we can witness Him starting to breathe some life. He doesn't always go to the places that are dripping with potential. And He asks us the same. Now, here's what happens if you want to pick up in verse 30. Now, Jesus asked the man, what's your name? He said, legion. Because many demons had gone into him. And those demons, they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Now, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and the demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs and he gave them permission. So when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs and the herd of rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and they were drowned. End of story. Kind of. Now, one of the things that I just need to make a note of for Western hearers, people who um, in a lot of ways have traded cosmology with also uh, psychology, Uh, or we just think of like there is something explainable behind every single thing, the Bible drops you into a different worldview. We try to explain everything in a reasonable, logical way. And when you come to the writers of Scripture, they say that there are multiple realities that are work in the world. We hear things like demons, angel, demonic, spiritual warfare, and we think it like second-rate Marvel movie. But the world of the Bible actually names that there is a battle that happens in the world. And you're very aware of this battle, or at least your news outlets are aware of this battle. We may try to reason and assign everything in ways that we think we can explain, but we're also very aware on the news every single day there are unexplainable and unfathomable evils happening in this world. And the Bible has language. For that unexplainable evil. It's warfare. And Luke is letting you look behind the scenes of Jesus is naming the reality of what this man is facing and evil's name in this instance is Legion. Now that term would have meant a large army of soldiers, but it's more than just a term. This isn't just a name. This is Luke peeling back the curtain to say to you, this is a warning. This is a threat. This is an invitation for intimidation. But Jesus will have none of it. Did you notice as soon as Jesus shows up, Jesus moves things around like it is a chess game in the world. And maybe this is the good news that some of us just need to hear who are coming in this morning feeling defeated or just feeling tired that when Jesus faces evil, He may be outnumbered, but He is not outmatched. I don't know where you come to church this morning. Maybe you feel outnumbered, but in the name of Jesus, you are not outmatched. The times you've said yes to that addiction Outnumber the times you've said, no, you are not outmatched in the name of Jesus. The odds of whatever diagnosis you are facing, if people tell you you are outnumbered, you are not outmatched in the name of Jesus. And the number of people you may have failed in your lifetime, the number of moments you may feel like you have failed as a parent may outnumber the success, but you are not outmatched in the name of Jesus. The work of Jesus is that God drowns the very things that we think will drown us. And speaking of drowning, what's going on with the pigs? Why does Wilbur take the brunt of this? Mu- Wilbur is the pig that Charlotte. Okay, some of you are just not feeling it this way. <laughs> what's up with the pigs? For starters, I want you to think of this passage in reference to location. So one of the things pigs would indicate is this would indicate the region of where they are. The people who thought they knew God the closest, the people who thought they knew where God's work was happening, they wouldn't have owned pigs because of food rituals back in the day. Jesus is way outside of the zone and territory that people thought he would be working. And Jesus is working in this location. There is no location that can escape the power and presence of Jesus in his life. It's working over in the area they thought he would work, and it's working over in the area that no one had on their radar. Nowhere can escape the power and presence. Of Jesus. And if we think that's the most disturbing part of the story with the pigs, you got to buckle up for the next part. You got to listen closely. And I would argue for people who have been in church for a while, you got to listen to this part very closely. Turn with me on this next with 35. And the people, this would be the people of the town, the people went out to see what had just happened. And when they came to Jesus, They found that the man from whom the demons had gone out was sitting at the feet dressed in his right mind and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to lead them. Because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and he left. But the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus actually sent him away. Now, I want you to hear this part of the story extremely closely. I want you to think locationally. Do you notice that every person in the story thinks somebody should leave? Let's start with the people. The people get a glimpse of the power and presence of God and they don't ask Jesus to stay. They're like, bro, you got to get out of here. Why would people who witness something so beautiful like that want Jesus to go? One reason may be that the power and presence of Jesus is not always good news to everyone. Because it disturbs life. Especially for those who have gotten extremely accustomed to living in areas where there's no light. I want you to think about when Jesus shows up on scene, he is turning everything upside down. Economically, there is already an impact. We lost pigs because of this man. I want you to think about who God is working through for the people. It would be disturbing this man. They pushed him out and now Jesus like he's the front row seat person. Some people don't find the power and presence of Jesus to be good news because it's challenging. When Jesus enters, when his power enters, it disturbs life as we know it. And that's not always good news to everyone. I think one of the hardest things and I've been really wrestling with saying this praise this week because I'm feeling the weight of it is you can't ask Jesus to change things without him also changing you. You can't pray for Jesus to change things and not expect for Jesus to start changing people around you. And the people feel the weight of that. Let's talk about the man. The man wants to go as well. He's like, look, I got to leave. This has been my hometown. These people have known me in one single way. And now I want to go with you. You know, a lot of scholars have tried to figure out why would this man ask to leave? Like what what would be the motivation behind it? There could be several main reasons, but one that a lot of interpreters actually think is because he thinks there's no work for him to do there. The people are literally asking Jesus to leave. And he's like, well, let me go with you. I've embarrassed myself around all the they know all my junk. They know all the things that I've done. Let me go with you. Some have said it's easier to leave than it is to stay. It's easier to start anew. than to renew relationship with those who have already existed. Look at the response of Jesus in verse 39. He says, man, I won't go with you, Jesus. And what Jesus says back is, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and he told all over the town how much Jesus had done for you. Him, I want you to see the word. Oh, bring me back, bring me back. Uh, I want to. Oh, oh, you salsa with me. All right, here we go. Um, I want you to see the word play that Luke does here return home and tell how much that God has done for you. And Luke tells you the man goes out and he tells how much Jesus had done for him. In essence, the man wants to leave home, he feels like he's being trapped. Or he is stuck. And Jesus actually thinks the opposite. His first step in freedom is stability, staying where he is. When you share what Jesus has done for you in the place where you've been, people are able to see what God is doing. He'd rather leave, but Jesus would rather him stay. He says, I want my will to be done. And Jesus says, But will you say your will be done? He listens to what Jesus thinks is best, not what he thinks is best. And that's a word in this world that we are existing in right now. One of the cultural moments that we are in is a moment of autonomy and individualism. Kind of a life narrative that's like, it's all for me. Truth should be determined by me. Decisions should all be on me. I got to do what's best for me. And the life of Jesus calls us to something that is radically different. And other people would actually say that is trapping. And Jesus says that may actually be freedom. You know, there's an illustration I heard that I just, I just love so much. Um, there, uh, the illustration kind of goes like this, and it, it describes the cultural air that we're just breathing right now. Um, There there was a young officer who was taking his final exam. And this was his final exam to be able to become a police officer. He was given four questions at the exam, and the first three were extremely easy to answer. The last one was a fill-in-the-blank scenario. Don't you hate fill-in-the-blank scenarios? Don't you hate those, Jimmy? I know you never get fill-in-the-blank. Never. The last fill-in-the-blank scenario, it sounded kind of like this. You're on patrol and an explosion occurs due to a gas line breaking in the aftershock. You realize that there is a truck that is turned over covered in gas. You go to the truck and you open the truck to find a man and a woman crying for help. But then you realize the woman is the chief's wife. And inside the vehicle, it smells like alcohol and she was supposed to be out of town. And while you're trying to sort this out, a person passing by says that they will help you. But then you realize that that person that wants to help you is wanted for armed robbery. And at the same time, another man comes running out of the house and says, help, my wife is pregnant and she's gone into labor after the shock. All while this is happening, after the explosion, there's a man who has fallen into the river and is screaming for help because he doesn't know how to swim bearing in mind the provisions of the Civil Rights Act and Violent Crimes Control of 1994, describe in a few words what you would do in that scenario. And the illustration ends with, the potential officer simply picks up the pen and writes, I would take off the uniform and I would blend with the crowd. The narrative of today is to blend with the crowd. The world that we swim in is one of collective individual, individualism and autonomy. I do what's best for me. I decide what is truth for me. And in life of Jesus Christ, there's a temptation to take off what God has put on us and just go blend in with the crowd. But if we are people, who are constantly blending in with the narrative of autonomy and individualism, we will be people who constantly want to leave. Because when something doesn't work for us, we immediately leave. We leave, we come back, we come again, we leave. I think we do this with a lot of different things, but I guess my bottom line I'm trying to get to today is we do this a lot with the place that we call our church home. To me, after doing this for 11 years, I tend to find two different types of people that enter into a church and then they leave. One is they don't want the discomfort of what the power and presence of God is doing, so they decide to leave. Or two, they don't think the presence and power of God would ask them to stay and actually be a part of it. But in this in this moment, Jesus, the incarnate one, the one who dwells with people, he sticks with 12 guys from beginning to the end. They don't even stick with him. Jesus comes and says, it's better for you to stay at home. It's better for you to be bound to a place and to people and to a community rather than a narrative of autonomy. And there are followers of Jesus throughout history who have taken this word very serious that sometimes Jesus calls us to stay home. He says you need to stay in the place where you are. You need to live out the gospel right here with the people who know you and they know all the junk because that's how the work of God is actually seen. There's an early monk by the name of Benedict of Nursia, who's this Italian monk who he noticed all the younger monks were basically becoming church surfers. They were just moving from one monastery to the next monastery to the next monastery, just searching for something good. And at one point, this monk writes to all the younger monks. I mean, this is like some, this is some bravery to say this. If you want to throw that quote, he said, don't leave this place. Stay here. You don't need a new place to become a new person in Jesus Christ. Sometimes the best thing to do for you living out the gospel and coming to know the gospel is to stay in one place. I may as go as far to say that when you leave, when you're constantly leaving and going different places, You're actually creating an obstacle for the presence and power of God. You know, sometimes in a world of individualism, and this is just just a hard word, in the world of individualism, we treat church kind of like we treat a Netflix or Spotify account. I'll keep showing up if they keep showing the things that I want to see. And please hear me say, and I think... Preachers who are in my position need to say this over and over and over again because it's hurting us right now in the world. There are legitimate reasons to leave a church and go somewhere else. There are seasons and there are times for that. If you experience abuse of any form, narcissistic leadership, false teaching, toxic culture, all invitations. A lot of times the reason that we leave is that we don't lean in enough to ask, what is the presence and power of Jesus doing in this world? The church is not the place where we are entertained. And the church is not the place where we go to walk down memory lane. The church is the place where we get trained in the power and presence of Jesus. And we shouldn't take that lightly. We should take that seriously. So I guess the question is, are you connected to a place? Do you call this church home your place? And if you do, are there people who know what the gospel of Jesus Christ is doing in your life? Not just what you believe. Are there people who know what God's work is doing in your life? And I want to just end with just five questions. Just five questions for you to discern and think about this. And hey, these are just questions. Okay? If there's a question that you get hooked on, I would just invite you. That may be the Spirit doing something in you. If that question is like, Psh, I don't it's just a question. That's all it is. The first question is this. Where's our love? Have we spent time loving the people? Hey, we all do this. There are times where we just start, we just start complaining about a place and we forget that the place, the church, God's people are people. If you love God's people, you're loving God. It's one of the most challenging things in the world. You got to get to know people and then they know you. And then they know your mess. And part of loving God is loving those people. Hebrews literally says, God will not forget your work and the love you have showed to his people. The scriptures over and over again are simultaneous. Love God's people, you're loving God. So I guess one of the questions is just in our talking, in articulation of our church, are we thinking and loving the people? If we don't feel very loved by the people, maybe it's time for us to lean in. Remind ourselves of the people who loved us in the very beginning. Here's the second question. Have we accepted the air filters? Uh, in my home, uh, we are supposed to change the air, air filters uh, three to four times a year. Uh, we will be lucky if those air filters get changed once a year. Okay, we just forget about them. I think sometimes when it comes to the house of God, the home of God, we forget it's supposed to be air filters. Like you come to church because you can't handle all the weight of articulating God by yourself, and quite honestly, if you just exist by yourself. You're not worshiping God, you're worshiping your perception of God. So one of the questions is, do we give permission in our lives For people to help be our air filters, they help you sort out the different things that are happening in your life. You can't baptize yourself. You can't give yourself communion. The church does that together. The third question. It's just have we prioritize our spiritual stability over our social mobility. Now, hear me, there are seasons in time. I know some of you are taking care of loved ones right now. I know that some of you are invested deeply in extended family stuff, and I'm not talking about that. What I am talking about is we've reached a place in the world now where we can just kind of, we can do whatever, whenever, wherever. And the question I think we have to ask is if we want to be connected to our home is should we sign up the kids for every single event that's out there? Should we take a trip three or four Sundays out of the year? Because if this is the place where God trains us, then we can't show up just every once in a while. We have to be in rhythm with one another. Fourth question. Uh, have we been dependable? And are we dependent on? When we come to church, are we depended on for something? Not that the whole church rests on you. That's too much pressure. But are we dependent on? Scripture uses the analogy of the body. That we're all needed together to serve. Can you imagine if you woke up every morning and it was 50-50 if your arm was going to work? Can you imagine how frustrating that would be? Are we people who when we come to church, we know we are being depended on and serving in the body of Christ. And the last one is this. Have we let forgiveness happen in this home? You know, it's fascinating to me that some of the most maturest members I've ran across in churches are the ones who have been there the longest and they're usually the quietest. I remember when I first got here, there was a, there was someone who I just deeply respect. She came up to me and she goes, look, this church has been through a lot and I'm at a place right now where if we're preaching Jesus and we're preaching Him crucified and resurrected, this is my home church. No matter what else we face in the future. Man, a life like that has to be willing to collect some bumps and bruises along the way. No one goes through the church family without some bumps and bruises. You know, I'll, I'll finish with this. I, I know that uh, a lot of us are familiar with the prodigal son story that uh, Jesus tells a story of there's a father and two sons. One of the sons runs away, squanders everything, comes back. We always ask ourselves the question of what's it like to be the younger brother? What's it like to be the older brother? I have one friend that likes to say, With church, you get the opportunity to be the father. You get the chance to know what it's like for maybe the church to come to you and use your story, your resources, maybe your relationships, maybe grace, and squander it. And then you get the chance of will you on behalf of the father. Give to the church what God has already given to you. So, Lord, uh, God, I I feel just a little bit of the just the discomfort uh, with all the bumps and bruises that are in the room. Lord, we pray. Can you bring healing to us? Lord, we long to be your hands and feet to be your body. Can you take this summer and can your spirit start mending and start healing so we can be open and available to those who do not know you? God, I pray for those who I know, Lord, it's 830. I know I'm speaking to a lot of people who invest in this church. Spirit, can you whisper to them how valuable and how helpful they are in this church body and how much we need them? God, God, May you speak through your people to those this morning who are wondering, does it matter if I'm in this place? Because we know it matters to you. We want to be that type of home, Lord. Say this in your son's name.